Hello, everyone. Welcome to Positively Pro-Life, a podcast brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. Positively Pro-Life brings you inspirational stories, important legislative updates, and informative interviews as we restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm Marianne Lawhan. I'm president of Pennsylvanians for Human Life, the Hazleton chapter and I am the executive director of The Voice of John. Um, I've been on Positively Pro-Life as a a guest, and today I'm happy to be here with you to co-host along with Maria Gallagher, my dear friend. Um, And so thank you for having me, Maria. It's a pleasure to have you today, Marianne. Um, let's, Let's get started. Let's start with the show. Okay. Well, one of the things I love about this Positively Pro-Life podcast is the diversity of topics you have covered. And today is a topic that I hold so dear to my heart, and I'm just excited to be coming in with such an important message. I'd love to see this talked about much more in media. It's It's the topic of adoption. Adoption is a difficult but very loving choice available to anyone facing a crisis pregnancy. And so today, we will talk to the founder and executive director of Abiding Love Adoptions, and that's Carrie Murray Nellis, and also to Britt Palladino, a birth mother herself, who serves as their director of PR and birth mother advocate. So additionally, we'll start off with Maria, who's going to discuss pro-life speeches from the U.S. House and the Senate. But I want to begin with a pro-life inspiration. And you know what? I read the most, well, just in getting ready for the program, it was really nice to read all these beautiful quotes about adoption, very motivational and healing, perhaps. But I uh, I read Mark, um, not Mark. Oh, I wanted to give a shout out that Mark Halk was acquitted on all his, all charges. That's a, a victory for pro-life. But Ryan Bomberger, he's an author. He's a, a very wonderful speaker. And he is head of Radiance Foundation. But Mark wrote a beautiful article, which I want to share with you Um He wrote, last Friday, January 22nd, was the most painful day of my life. I lost the most incredible man I ever knew, my dad. I tried to articulate some of my thoughts on social media. Today is the most painful day of my life, yet my dad always said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. So I rejoice that this morning at 6.23 a.m., heaven gained a beautiful soul who loved Jesus and people, especially his family, with his whole heart. Henry Bomberger was a man who embodied what it means to be a man of God. Today, a man who exemplified what it means to be pro-life, a father who adopted and loved 13 children in addition to three biological children, met the father to the fatherless, 
Henry Bomberger is not a man anyone will see in news articles or in history books, but his impact in this world has and will cause the most beautiful reverberations for generations. He was loved by everyone who knew him, especially his family. He modeled so beautifully how a husband loves and cares for his wife. He was a champion to those of us wrongly labeled unwanted. He was a humble hero to those who were hurting. He was proof for those who wanted to know that God is real. After 12 years of fighting Parkinson's, he is finally healed. I love you, Dad, more than words can ever express. This week, my family and I celebrated his remarkable life. He was a man who loved so deeply and was so deeply loved. Though his body was put into the ground, his legacy lives on. My dad chose to be the father to children that other men abandoned. He rescued us. He didn't see through the world's broken filter. He saw each of us through God's breakthrough filter. Henry Bomberger saw beautiful possibility in each of us, sacrificing himself in so many ways that we could walk into the destiny emblazoned on our lives. My mom and dad shattered the myth of the unwanted child, and with each struggle, each joy, each son and daughter, they proved there is no such thing as unwanted. I don't look like my dad. My skin is brown. His was off-white. I was adopted and loved. In fact, I was the first one adopted. It obviously went well. Each year, a new flavor was added to the family. My siblings are all different shades and various and heartbreaking backstories. I was conceived in rape. That never kept my dad from calling me his own. He embraced each of our stories with all of the unexpected twists and turns with open arms and helped to change our narratives. He taught me what grace looks and feels like. My dad's devotion to us showed us so clearly that it's not blood that binds us. It's not color. It's love. And he loved us unconditionally. He is the reason why I am the husband and father that I am today. He is the reason why my amazing wife, Bethany, and I creatively illuminated that every life has purpose through our Radiance Foundation. He is the reason that I see God the Father as a good and loving father. His passion for the Bible, which became mine as well, is why I know that I will see him again. The world doesn't know what it truly lost a few days ago, but I do. Henry Bomberger made the world a better and kinder and more forgiving place. He is a legacy I'm so honored to carry. I love that that beautiful tribute to an adopted father by his adopted son, who we all love. And so from all of us at the, at the Pro-Life Federation, Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation, Ryan, we offer you our deepest condolences on the loss of your father. Thank you so much, Marianne. On Tuesday, January 24th, pro-life legislators in both the U.S. House and Senate spoke out on behalf of the right to life. The following are highlights from Tuesday's speeches. 
First of all, Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith, a Republican from Mississippi, said, the issue of abortion gets to the heart about what it means to be human. Who counts as one of us? Why can brutally killing a baby before birth be justified simply because the baby is inconvenient, imperfect, unwanted, unplanned, or dependent on her mother? Rather than answer these questions about the humanity of the child in the womb, the child sucking her thumb, the child whose heart is beating, and the child whose sonogram pictures are cherished as proof of life, the abortion industry wants you to look away from the baby. Senator John Thune, a Republican from South Dakota, said, I've been very outspoken on this floor about my frustration with the Biden administration. I have not held back on this because they are the most pro-abortion presidency in American history. They actively work on increasing the number of abortions in America. And I find that not only appalling, I find that painful that we as a nation have a policy of finding ways to increase the death of children. That is not who we should be as a nation. We should be working to be able to protect the life of every single child. Representative Michelle Fishbach, a Republican from Minnesota said, over the last five decades, more than 60 million unborn lives have been taken and a tragic irreversible mark has been left on countless mothers, fathers, and families. While there is still so much work to be done, I stand here hopeful. The pro-life community is stronger than ever. With last year's Dobbs versus Jackson decision, this country is beginning to move in the right direction to defend the defenseless and support life. We are changing hearts and minds. And finally, Representative Thompson, a Republican from Pennsylvania said, Mr. Speaker, my position on life has always been clear. You can't be a champion for the future of this great country if you are going to limit its potential. It is my strong belief that every child, every human life is sacred and has a purpose in this world. Marianne, let's introduce our guests. Thanks, Maria. Um, well, we're going to introduce our guests, and we have uh, some questions for them. On and as, boy, this this is a topic that has really changed over the decades. Our guests are Carrie Mary, Murray Nellis and Britt Palladino from Abiding Love Adoptions. Abiding Love Adoptions was founded in 2016 and specializes in infant open adoptions, working with the birth mother or birth parents to create an adoption plan and help them navigate the process. Carrie Murray Nellis is the founder and executive director of Abiding Love Adoptions. Her experience as a family law attorney inspired her to build a law practice that became exclusively centered around adoption law. That's amazing. Uh, Britt Palladino is a birth mother herself and serves as the birth mother mentor and public relations manager for Abiding Love Adoptions. She seeks to make adoptions more of a conversation in pro-life circles. Thank you so much. We all need to do that. Um, we are honored to have both Carrie and Britt with us today to share their very valuable insights on this most important topic. So welcome, Carrie and Britt, to Positively Pro-Life. 
Thank you so much for having us. I feel like the uh, bio for Brit needs to be so much longer. I, I love hanging out with Brit for so many reasons, but every time I'm with her, I find out something cool or unique that she has also done. And it's so cool to watch how God has used her. So um, we, we're going to have to add more and more for, for Brit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> how did Abiding Love Adoptions get its start? Well, um, who would have thought that God can use an attorney, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's really, you know, where one of the big questions, um, you know, I, I went to law school uh, back in, gosh, t- the early um, 2002, I guess I started law school. I graduated in 2005 and I never knew why God sent me to law school. Not, I did not, I was not the kid that grew up saying, Hey, let's go to law school. I want to go to law school. So, in fact, when I called my father to tell him, because I'd just gotten married and three months into our marriage, I woke my husband up and I said, I want to go to law school. And he said, Me too. Um, like normal oh. newlyweds, we quit our jobs and went to law school. And I remember I called my father and he hung up on me. <laughs> he was like, <"No." laughs> What in the world are you talking about? I'm the youngest of four girls. And he was like, no, I'm done. I'm like, no, I'm not asking you to pay for it. I'm just telling you this is what's going to happen. Um, so, but the whole time I was at law school, I just didn't understand. I, I kept saying, Lord, I swear I heard your voice and you were clear, but I don't know why I'm here. But it's so cool what God does. I started out my practice. Um, I had my first adoption case and I was working at a small general practice firm in Savannah, Georgia. And it just opened my eyes to uh, adoption, to foster care. I had the um, the privilege to be asked to be a part of the CASA board um, that stands, stands for Court Appointed Special Advocates. Um, and while, you know, as a board member in the South for different organizations, my main priority is to organize balls and galas and raise money. <laughs> um, you know, I had the audacity to want to do more. And so I wanted to learn exactly what CASA did. So I said, well, I should become a CASA. Um, and that opened my eyes to juvenile court. And so I know this is a long answer to your question, but I started working in juvenile court and representing parents against DFACS, as we call it in Georgia, Department of Family Children's Services. Some states say DCF, DCS, all these different things. Um, but and doing guardian at litem work. And I just saw how broken the foster care system was. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and no offense to DFACS, I know that they're doing the best they can, but, you know, they would have a a set plan and uh, the caseworker would be helping the mom work that case plan. And then that caseworker would leave and there'd be a new caseworker. And all of a sudden the plan changed and what you'd done before didn't work. And it just was very demoralizing for my clients. And um, I found, you know, and I don't mean to, to, you know, um, Uh, label people, but for the most part, you could tell who was going to work the case plan, who was not going to work the case plan. And defects doesn't open, doesn't allow for open adoption. And around that time, open adoption was really becoming a big thing. So I just um, started doing more and more adoptions. And, um, and the other part of why I started Abiding Love is because I would get hired by adoption agencies and I would walk into the hospital room because uh, I was the attorney that they would they would hire to come in and do the legal paperwork. In Georgia, we call it surrenders. And believe it or not, I was the first person she had ever seen in person regarding oh. adoption. Everything was done over the internet. And, um, and guys, this was, um, this was years ago, but the internet changed adoption. They had agencies in New York and Washington and all this other stuff working with, um, 
uh, moms in Georgia and other states. Uh, the internet blew adoption out of the water. And um, I was part of the problem because I was an attorney tra- helping to make it happen. And um, what I saw was adoption was becoming transactional. And I made a lot of my adoption agency clients mad because I would talk her out of adoption because nobody had sat with her and said, hey, have you been to your local pregnancy resource center? Have you looked at this opportunity that you have here? What are the local resources that can help you parent? Finances should not be the reason that someone makes an adoption plan. And um, I wanted an agency. I wanted an organization that focused around her. No offense to the adoptive parents, but no one was focusing on her. It was all about the adoptive parents. They're the ones that pay the bill. They're the ones that pay that. Um, And I wanted something different. I wanted an agency that focused around her. So we created Abiding Love, even though I've been practicing adoption law for 17 years, I'm getting old. Um, But even even though, um, you know, I, I started Abiding Love in 2016 to go against the grain. A lot of people are still scratching their head about Abiding Love and I'm okay with it. I look, I am from the South. So we just kind of give it some sweet tea and we give it, you know, a, a cupcake or some pound cake and we say, here you go. Enjoy the ride. Um, but that's, we do things differently. We we do not keep a waiting list of adoptive families. Um, and the reason being is because again, our mission isn't to match her. Our mission isn't to find anybody a baby. Our mission is to empower her to either parent. And if parenting is not an option, then to make an adoption plan. And that's one of the reasons I'm so honored to work with Britt and um, our whole team, but especially Britt, because uh, she has her own story, which she'll share about how she came to an adoption decision and what she saw as a birth mom and an expectant mom considering adoption, the holes. And so it was so neat how God brought us together last year. And um, I love being in the trenches with Britt, serving women and um Again, who would have thought that God could use an attorney? You know, Carrie, I'm just wondering, because at one time they used to talk a lot about closed adoptions, but now with that DNA testing that the kids do all the time, I would think that's not even a a viable thing to do anymore. But just wondering, how do you support a birth mother through the adoption process? Because I think that's so important so that they don't change their mind and you have a heartbroken adoptive mother. You know, do you want everybody to benefit from this? Well, they might change their mind. I mean, but that's right. Her, her right to do that. Um, but what we want to do is we want her to walk into whatever decision she makes. I want her to walk into that with her eyes wide open. Mm-hmm. So um, I want her to look at what is parenting really going to look like? Because a lot of times there's women that look at it with rose colored glasses. And um, so I want her to know what it's going to look like, what the um, finances of it, if, if, you know, where's the child going to go when you're working? How are we going to work this out? Um, and um, to make sure that she she understands that if, if she does make an adoption plan, I want her to understand this is going to be one of the hardest decisions. Honestly, either yes. one is hard. She's got to choose her hard. And that's something we talk to moms a lot about. Um, but, you know, we talked to her about the grief and the loss of adoption. And that's something a lot of agencies don't do. And a lot of attorneys don't because they don't want her to realize how hard this is going to be. They try to make it as beautiful and sugar-coated as possible. And I'm sorry. I mean, I I know that, you know, we have amazing adoption stories and, and it's beautiful, but no one's talking about the woman in the corner crying. 
You're right. And abiding love is here for the woman in the corner crying, not only crying when she's pregnant, trying to figure out what she's going to do, not only crying when she's has pen to paper, signing documents and handing a baby to uh, this family that she's chosen, but six months, three months, 10 years down the line, we want to be there for her. And so what that means is how do we do that is intentional relationship. This is not a transaction. And if I can say that over and over again, that adoption, we've got to stop being a transaction. And um, so that means having birth mother mentors uh, like Britt and others that we have that have walked it. I have walked alongside countless women over 17 years. I have. But I have never walked in her shoes and I cannot sit there yes. and say I have. And so while I can counsel with her um, and love on her, there's something powerful about Brit and our other birth mother mentors who can say, this is how what I was thinking before, you know, when I was looking at profiles, trying to decide which family, this is what I was thinking when this happened or that happened. Um, this is how I am, you know, 12 years down uh, after. And that's powerful. Um, but also making sure she has resources. A long time um, down the road. Unfortunately, when mom signs the surrenders or the consents and the revocation period, if the state has a revocation period, once that is done, and usually the law is that they uh, the agencies provide six weeks of post placement care, so helping with you know expenses of um, rent, groceries, counseling. But usually, usually honestly, it happens after the pen to paper and the revocation period is up. But sometimes it'll happen after the six weeks. The agency's done with them; they're done. They talk oh, yeah. about displacement mm-hmm. care, but they've moved on. And so that's been one of my biggest fears. And so that's why post-placement care is so vital um, into being there for women. And that's something that we at Abiding Love have worked so hard on. And we saw what we were doing, but other agencies weren't. Um, so y'all don't know me very well, but I have this amazing tendency to come up with crazy ideas to start new nonprofits and new things. And so uh, we in twenty. 20 created abiding love charities and that is all about post-placement care i love that concept we knew what we were doing with abiding love but other agencies weren't and we wanted it open to any birth mother i don't care where she placed when she placed what state and because you know as us as abiding love adoption agency we are only licensed in georgia florida and south carolina and so we were providing post-placement services for someone in california it could be seen Mm -hmm. that we were you know doing something illegal and we didn't want even the perception of that so we created a totally separate 501c3 it's all about post-placement care um Our number one priority always will be birth mothers. So that's where we started. Um, But we also have, um, we serve adoptees. Uh, We have an amazing director of adoptee services, Marilyn Mansour. Um, And then we also have um, Lizzie Alanameth, and she is our uh, director of adoptive parent services. Because just like with with birth mothers, with adoptive parents, they wanted an open adoption. They prayed for this, right? And then once that adoption's finalized, the agency's done with them, and they're sitting here going, how do I navigate this open adoption? What do I do? How do I, how do, do I let her have a visit if she's, you know, inebriated or something like that? Or, or how do I, how do I build this relationship and, and make no mistake about it. Open adoption's hard, but relationships that are worth having are hard. And so that means that we as an adoption community have got to be there for her. So to, it's again, I'm an attorney, so I love to give long answers to your, your questions. Um, but how do we do that is intentionally loving her uh, big and well, empowering 
empowering her to make the decision that's best mm-hmm. for her and her child, not what's best for the dad, not what's best for her friend or her family, but her. And so we've got to have the right people there loving on her. And that's one of the many reasons I'm honored to be in the trenches with our team. Uh-huh. Um, We've got about four minutes left, and I'm wondering if you can share your own journey as a birth mother. Sure. I think I can actually, in my story, can combine all the rest of the questions. So um, I'm good. That's why I'm the director of PR, because I know how to say (laughs) that. Good for you. So the funny thing was when, you know, normally when you think of a birth mother, you think of a high school girl or you think of a woman who's homeless or a woman who has a, you know, a drug problem at, or someone who's, you know, broke. But the fact of the matter is I fit in neither of those criteria. Um, I was 38. I was a fairly new widow. Um, I was already a mom. I wasn't using drugs. I wasn't homeless. I was actually just fairly affluent if you really want it, if I want to be honest with it. So none of those things matched. But the reasons, the reason why I placed uh, was to protect her from the biological father. And also just being new in widowhood, I recognized that I really wasn't emotionally capable of taking this on. So I did what most women do when they're faced with a crisis pregnancy. I, I took to the internet. Um, I needed to find out where, you know, I had just like everybody else. Where where do you start? How do you? um, So but I knew I wanted a Christian adoption. I wanted a Christian family. So I so I tailored my sit my search to Christian adoption agencies. I did reach one. Um, I'll spare them the shame of saying what their name is, but um, they were the closest. The closest location they had was about, you know, five states away from me. And I and she said, I can't help you because you're in Florida. And I said, okay, well, you know, do you know who can help me? And she said, no, just redo your internet search and hung up the phone. (laughs) So um, I I did I did find another agency. They were located in Florida, but this was kind of the same stories a lot of women face. Um, There might only in a lot of other agencies, there might only be one advocate that works for the entire state. And not that this agency had only one advocate, but the closest advocate to me in Florida was in Winter Park and I was in Key West. So that's roughly nine hours um, from me. So a lot of it was was over the phone. I, I only actually saw her, I think, twice before I was in the hospital. So that made me feel really lonely. Um, and I felt like I really didn't have anybody. I thank God that God brought me the Fifth Street Baptist Church in Key West because you want to talk about a place being the hands and feet of Jesus. They were like they loved me through every bump, every boo boo, every sore I had, you know, through this whole experience, because that's really what a woman like me in that situation. Um, we refer to those women as expectant mothers because nobody's a birth mother until she signs her paperwork. So uh, to be able to love an expectant mom in that that way is completely necessary. Um, and that's what, you know, nicely the model here fits. You know, we are we are not in areas that we can't reasonably service women, even if they're in our state. We just believe that she needs to be, you know, she needs hands-on care. She needs in-person support. We've also launched this um, thing that I refer to as holistic view of adoption, where we're partnering with pregnancy resource centers. We're educating them about how to walk with an expectant mom through adoption. We're educating them about how to work with us so that if she decides to, to parent, she's already plugged into those resources. She's already there. I don't have to 
Traditionally, they would take the referrals out of those centers and work with her independently. Um, and, and honestly, because we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so very oh, much. This was wonderful. Thank you both, Carrie and Brittany. So empowering. And remember, there's always a reason to choose life.